Bookworms, I'm Ray Defterius, and this is the Hand Tool Book Review, the podcast for people who love woodwork and love reading about woodworking too. Are you at the point in your hand tool career where you want to flesh out your toolbox, but you're unsure of where to start? Or have you just decided that you need a book on woodworking tools and you're not sure which one to get? A while back I covered off hand plans, and I did this early in the series for a reason. It's probably the most complicated of the tools we use. And hopefully by now you're well on your way to being comfortable with the hand tool triumvirate of plane, saw and chisel. As a result, over the next few episodes I'm going to review a few books that I think are relevant to your hand tool library. By their nature, tools are covered in a few ways. It may be that the book is technique focused and tools need to be covered in that context. It may also be that the book is structured as an encyclopedia of tools where each tool is discussed and sorted in a logical order. That might be alphabetical, or it might be by function. And there's also a third type, and I'm not sure if I should classify line drawings as an art book, but Eric Sloan's books and Aldrin Watson's books certainly feel like a celebration of the beauty and function of the tools, as much as they are practical guides. It's going to take a bit of time to review these different types of books, and for a while now I've wanted to review a book by Graham Blackburn, as I think that he set out to write the complete guide to woodworking, and in some ways he may have achieved this. If you're not familiar with his books, I think he's worth exploring. So today's book is from the Illustrated Workshop Volume 1, the Illustrated Encyclopedia of Woodworking Hand Tools, Instruments and Devices by Graham Blackburn. That's G-R-A-H-A-M in case you're doing a search on him. The next book I plan on reviewing is his second volume, and a public service announcement here. Please don't rush out and order a copy of the book I'm reviewing today until you've listened to the next review because in many ways the second book may be better suited to you. If I was limited in terms of budget, I don't think I would have bought the first book as well. On the shop and the email front, I've been having a lot of fun making a wardrobe for my daughter. It's been an interesting personal journey for me, as I'd originally planned to make an absolute heirloom piece out of white oak, with perfect lines and amazing details. And yet I've been procrastinating on this, mainly out of fear of getting things wrong and... The project frankly has stalled since around January. The only progress on this front is three glued up panels and one flat-ish panel. Still kind of there, but not perfect, and still not done. Mentally, this weighed me down a lot, and I know that from time to time we all suffer a lack of motivation on projects. This one was even worse in that, I guess like all fathers, I just wanted my daughter to look at the work and look at me with admiration and go, wow dad, that's amazing. This fear of letting her down has absolutely paralyzed me. And I had a realization last week that I was actually letting her down more by not making something. As much as she wants a nice wardrobe, what she actually needs at age 12 is any wardrobe. She literally has no hanging space. So I took a new resolution. I decided to build a disposable wardrobe. A good enough wardrobe. I guess as Gary Rogowski so elegantly put it, a second best in the world piece of furniture. It'll do for now. I'll learn in the process, and she can hang her clothes in the meantime. Ultimately, if I really don't like it, it'll do until I've finished a better one for her. Giving myself this freedom has been amazingly liberating, and the progress since last Sunday means I now have a dovetailed carcass with rabbits for the back and dados for the shelf complete. Sure, there are a few gaps on the dovetails, and in a case which stands six feet tall, it's about a quarter of an inch out of perfectly plumb. But at the end of the day, I'm progressing steadily each day, and I think my goal of doing this by the end of June is achievable. I'm putting it out there to hold myself accountable. 
I'd also like to thank Robin from New Zealand for a lovely email and his suggestions on books about turning. The ones he suggested are out of print, so I'm going to have to scrounge around for some copies, and who knows, they might be featured later on in the show. I'm still not sure where I stand on lathes as hand tools, but nobody can deny how much fun they are. Before we get into the book proper, I'd like to give some insight into the author. I found Graham to be fascinating as he ran two parallel careers, one in woodworking and one in music. It's an accomplishment to be a master of either of these fields. But Graham is a person who has not only played with numerous bands including Van Morrison, he was also ultimately the editor of Woodwork magazine. I think that that's a life well spent. He built houses, custom furniture, and taught and continues to teach at woodworking schools. Not only did he contribute to magazines, he has also written and illustrated 16 books about many aspects of woodworking, house building, furniture making, books on sailing and philately. He's also written and published some works of fiction. From a woodworking perspective, I think his illustrated workshop series is the most important. I have three of the four books. The first covers a range of tools and devices. The second is a manual for the hand tool worker that covers the tools and their use in more detail. And the fourth is a set of classic projects and lessons. The third book in the series is an elusive and tricky beast. I've been unable to track down a copy of this book, as it seems that unlike the three other books that were revised and reprinted, this was not widely circulated. At $70 on Amazon for a second-hand copy, I'm going to give it a skip for now, although I remain on the hunt at second-hand bookstores. Its topic, traditional woodworking techniques, is certainly of interest to me. So let's dive into the first book. The book is a large format book, so it punches above its 175 pages, as there's quite a lot of information on each page. It's a sort of A4 letter format in terms of size. Throughout the book there are some historical pictures, but the majority of the 600-odd tools in the book are illustrated by the author. If I set the gold standard of 10 out of 10 with Watson and Sloan, these are a solid 8 out of 10 for me. I consider illustrations better than photography in this context, and the book has clear, detailed illustrations that nobody's going to find fault with. They might lack a small bit of the flair and brilliance of the other two authors, but they do their job well. By his own admission, the author had to limit the scope at some point. He set out to create an illustrated book of carpentry tools, which was then expanded to furniture making tools, and ultimately to tools used in all forms of woodwork. Importantly for us, these tools are all hand-powered, so there is no inclusion of any power tools, neither modern versions or treadle lathes. That suits me just fine. There are a few pages at the end of the book that are not the book proper, literally four or five that deal with associations, auctions, bibliographies, etc., but in essence, the entire book is an encyclopedia of tools. On the positive side, that means that getting to the right information quickly is very easy. Let's jump to J. There's an entry here for Jigger, and the note next to it says C draw knife. I'd never heard of that name for a draw knife, but if it was all you'd heard, you'd get to the right place fast. Likewise for jackplane, which refers us back to plane comma bench. Continuing with the draw knife example, under draw knife, we now find entries for draw knife, which is in turn defined as the draw knife, until recently was always called a drawing knife, which tended to confuse it with the drawing knife of the previous cross-reference, because it is simply a knife, with a handle at each end, operated by being drawn towards the user. Also known as a draft shave and a draw shave, which terms point to its relationship with the spoke shave. It was an extremely popular tool because of its ability to remove a lot of wood very quickly. Consequently, many different types of draw knives have been developed, 
each adapted to the particular requirements of various woodworking trades. After this generic definition of a draw knife, we then start having sub-entries. In this case, the first one is draw knife, comma, carpenters. This is the standard draw knife, still in use today with the freehand, two-handle trimming tool. Or draw knife carriage body as an example. The carriage body draw knife, while it fulfills all the requirements necessary for being called a draw knife, is the least like all other draw knives because its blade, which is interchangeable, is only one and a half inches wide. After this, there are entries for carriage body, carriage makers, chamfer knife, coach makers, coopers, jigger, mast, wagon makers, and the last entry has a note that this type is also referred to as a wagon rights draw knife. And sure enough, if you go down to the section W, there is an entry referring right back to here. For these draw knife variants, there are nine separate diagrams in total. The details are different under each individual type of draw knife, and there is an additional diagram showing three draw knife profiles. Chisels and planes, two of the longer entries, are typically in the region of a double page spread at the generic level, and then variants are detailed in more details under separate entities. So for example, the entire plane section, including bench, block, moulding and speciality planes, comes in at around 20 pages total. This includes 79 different diagrams. And I think that this will probably give you an idea of the book's best purpose. It's probably worth one cover-to-cover -cover read, and then used as a reference guide when you can't quite remember what a snipe plane is, and then by jumping to planes, comma, snipe you will have a quick and concise entry about what the tool is. It's hard to draw a conclusion about the value of the book without understanding your propensity for internet research, your connectivity, and how you like having your knowledge presented. If you're looking for a visual list of tools that you could quickly assimilate or refer to in the future, this book may meet your purpose. And it's certainly well laid out, consistent, and pleasant to read. For a quick comparison, I did a Wikipedia search on draw knife, and I believe that Blackburn has a better entry. Likewise, I did planes, and again, while Wikipedia uh, was better than the draw knife entry, I still felt that Blackburn had the edge. And let's face it, if Wikipedia can't beat him on planes, it's probably not beating him on any tools. However, if I compare Blackburn to Patrick Leach's Blood and Gore, Blood and Gore wins hands down if you're interested in Stanley types and variants. So again, if you're looking for a visual dictionary with short, concise and consistent entries, this book is better. If you have a more specific interest, there are better books and internet resources available. In the next episode, I'll contrast this approach in this book with the second volume. Now, the second volume in the series I feel is more valuable to the woodworker. But I'd point out that if you're just looking for straight beauty of drawings, Eric Sloan's Museum of Early American Tools is a work of art and a book I still page through with the kids from time to time, and it's only $12. So in conclusion, the Illustrated Encyclopedia of Woodworking Hand Tools, Instruments and Devices is 178 pages long, and is written by Graham Blackburn. You can find the book at blackburnbooks.com and as of June 2020 it cost $25. I think that 25 years ago in a pre-internet age this book might very well have been a trusted friend on your bookshelf. I think it's clear, it's concise and it's well laid out. I could not find any obvious omissions, and given the sheer volume of entries and illustrations I think that it is unlikely there are any major holes that will annoy you. On reading the book I found a wealth of variants and interesting tools, many of which I did not know existed. I was asked by someone the other day, 
what book would I recommend to someone who doesn't even understand the terminology? It's possible that this book would have been on my recommendation list, although I still remain unconvinced that it's a necessary book in the internet age. If you were heading for a rural tool shop outside of internet connectivity and you wanted to know what everything you found was going to be there, this would be the book for you. Otherwise, it feels like a book that would have been great at a different time in history. I'm giving the book a 5 out of 10 in the category tools. So that's it for now, Woodworms. And remember, go do some research about a tool that you've never used before, and keep reading. If you have any comments or suggestions, perhaps a favourite book you'd like to suggest or one you're considering buying that you'd like me to feature in a future episode, drop me an email at handtoolbookreview at gmail.com. I always enjoy getting your emails. If you'd like to support the show, you can find me on Patreon, and any contributions will support the purchase of books for the library and future episodes.